section twelve of with the royal army medical corps in egypt by sergeant major r a m c this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven epidemic diseases measures taken to prevent and combat them the battle of romany against the turks began on august the fourth nineteen sixteen and ended six or seven days later with the complete rout of the enemy by our fighting troops what may be called the battle of romany against the cholera began on august the seventh and after some two months close grim tussle ended with just as complete a victory for our medical service the analogy may with profit be carried a little farther in the first engagement long and careful preparation and organization resulted in a crushing defeat to the enemy at relatively small cost in killed and wounded to our own side in the second engagement equally extensive precautions and painstaking dispositions resulted in the stamping out of an epidemic which under the peculiar circumstances might well have developed into a prime disaster to our arms if the cholera had been once allowed to get foothold among our crowded desert camps with their hosts of native followers and complex difficulties as to sanitation and water supply there is no saying what might have happened what really happened is that from first to last seven british soldiers died of the disease why this death toll stopped at seven and did not mount up to seventy or seven hundred or for the matter of that seven thousand and why within two months of its first appearance all danger to our army from this scourge had been blotted out makes up a story which cannot fail to be of interest to all who rest their faith in the world's ultimate regeneration mainly upon the gospel of brains and hard work it had been long foreseen that the presence of the turks on the sinai peninsula constituted a double danger to egypt we were not afraid of their guns but we did entertain a wholesome dread of disease infection through their agency moreover the peril from the latter must increase in direct ratio to the success of our arms every prisoner we took and every deserter that came over to our side was a potential carrier of disease germs every yard of ground wrested from the enemy meant more suspected terrain added to the already heavy responsibilities of our medical staff as a matter of fact though the outbreak of cholera in the katia district close to the battlefield of romany undoubtedly originated in the drinking of water by our troops from infected wells lately used by the turks we had ample evidence that the turkish medical authorities had not neglected precautionary measures against cholera all the prisoners taken at romany 
bore evidence of having been inoculated with some antitoxic emulsion and interrogation of the men left little room for doubt that this was against cholera the dispositions made by the medical staff of the egyptian expeditionary force to prevent the occurrence of cholera among the troops of the eastern force or to deal with it should an outbreak arise date from very early in the year nineteen sixteen cholera was known to be raging in syria where the enemy had his base we had no means of ascertaining whether or to what extent the turkish army was infected but we knew that as soon as military contact between the two opposing forces was re-established the danger to our own troops must be regarded as a very real one and thorough and timely action was indicated with characteristic foresight therefore and with the swift unswerving energy for which he is equally noted our director of medical services in egypt surgeon general mar c b got down to work the problem was a sufficiently complex one not only had the health which meant the fighting capacity of the army to be preserved at its present high level but the native population of egypt itself had to be safeguarded a widespread epidemic of cholera in egypt at this time would have been no less than a catastrophe we were and still are drawing upon that country for supplies of all sorts among which must take almost first rank a supply of cheap native labour the thirteen or fourteen million inhabitants of the nile borderland have constituted an asset of the british empire during this war whose value is well-nigh inestimable and must in the near future of the precious peace-time prove itself of real imperial worth but it was not enough to prevent the incidence of cholera in egypt proper we were employing many thousands of native labourers on various works on the sinai peninsula a considerable number close up to the front line cholera amongst these would mean more than the temporary stoppage of these works it might result in the total arrest of the stream of labour recruits to the district by giving it a bad name with the populace in the early days of the new suez canal defensive scheme fear of the turks had well-nigh paralysed engineering progress by keeping away native labour fear of cholera would at this time undoubtedly have had a like effect the main principle underlying the system which was now devised to combat the disease on the sinai peninsula was to give it no chance at any stage the whole medical personnel from firing line to base was placed on the qui vive in regard to it practically the entire army was re-inoculated with the wonderful anti-choleraic emulsion and this when we consider that all inoculation 
except that against smallpox is entirely voluntary in the army speaks volumes for the sound common sense of our soldiers the native camel-men and labourers were treated in the same way the drinking of water from local wells and springs was rigorously interdicted except where access to official supplies became impossible to meet this emergency as already stated every soldier was provided with certain chemicals in convenient tablet form by which the contents of his water bottle could be quickly sterilized the strictest sanitary rules as to the disposal of excreta in all camps were set in force all cases of diarrhoea even of the simplest and mildest type were uniformly regarded as suspicious and the men affected immediately isolated and closely watched until the harmlessness or otherwise of their ailment declared itself here the usefulness of the field laboratories was strikingly manifested stool specimens of all diarrhoea cases being at once forwarded to the nearest laboratory for examination this involved an enormous amount of work on the part of our ramc bacteriologists but the trouble was amply repaid by the certainty practically insured by the system of the prompt detection of any early and isolated cases of cholera which might occur and might otherwise be overlooked in their incipient stages until irreparable harm had been done in the meantime though no case of cholera had as yet appeared among the troops or the native labourers arrangements were everywhere put in train to deal with the disease as if it were already actually rife among us the broad waters of the canal constituted as efficient a barrier to the passage of disease into egypt as it had proved to an attacking force traffic across the canal was therefore rigorously supervised no one being allowed to pass from east to west without having first stood the test of confinement in a quarantine camp for a period of eight days a system of quarantine stations for this purpose was organized throughout the whole length of the canal on its eastern or desert side at the same time sites for isolation camps were selected wherever our troops were congregated so that in the event of an outbreak of cholera occurring the unit involved could be at once separated from the mass of the troops and the possible spread of the disease thus limited in addition to this every ramc unit throughout the force made its own preparations for the temporary isolation and treatment of cases which might occur pending their removal to specially appointed cholera hospitals at the base on the canal bank here also was established a complete series of isolation hospitals to which all cases of diarrhoea among the troops of the desert column 
were immediately sent and there segregated until the exact nature of their trouble was ascertained the egyptian element of the sinai force was equally well looked after similar arrangements being everywhere made with regard to it the difficulty of supervising the vast numbers of natives labourers on the railway camelmen etc scattered here and there along our line between kantara and the front can scarcely be exaggerated not a man among them possessed naturally the most elementary idea of the laws of sanitation or of personal hygiene all had to be drummed into them by sheer force of language and repeated demonstration and when once respect for sanitary order and preventive measures against disease had been inculcated the utmost vigilance was needed to preserve the hard-won position the organization from the medical point of view of the egyptian labor corps and camel transport corps is dealt with elsewhere in these pages but one remark on this head may here be made very pertinently during the period which we have at present under review no single case of cholera occurred among the egyptian labourers on sinai peninsula the fact is little less than astounding when we consider the hazard of the time and it reflects unbounded credit on the ramc officers and men upon whom fell all the preventive work and responsibility westward of the canal preparations for dealing with a possible outbreak of cholera were instituted on if anything an even more extended sale in fact the entire medical organization of the country military and civil stripped for action wherever our troops were quartered sites for isolation camps were marked out and special cholera hospitals established and equipped with trained staff and all necessary material in the large towns each military general hospital had its cholera ward ready one large hospital in alexandria was so prepared that it could at short notice be devoted exclusively to cholera cases near cairo two extensive cholera compounds were established and every supernumerary hospital throughout the country made similar dispositions even then there remained one important matter to be considered this was the segregation under strict quarantine of all contacts individuals or groups of people who had been in contiguity with suspicious cases and must therefore be put away alike from their infected and healthy comrades until all possibility of their conveying disease had passed this difficult problem was dealt with in the same dynamic resourceful way as all the rest the civil authorities throughout egypt were equally prompt and thorough in their preparations to meet a possible epidemic where we had our thousands they had their hundreds of thousands to safeguard 
and the anxiety attendant on the problem was increased accordingly a grave feature in this was the introduction into egypt of vast hordes of turkish prisoners all of whom had to be regarded as possible cholera contacts this was a military necessity we could not keep these men in the fighting zone but once inside the prisoners camps at heliopolis and elsewhere they were so well looked after as to render the chance of their conveying infection almost negligible the most likely means however of cholera reaching egypt from the sinai desert lay with egypt's own people members of the egyptian labor corps whose term of service had expired naturally wanted to return to their own villages and people forthwith all these and any others natives or europeans who might be journeying westward were confined for eight clear days in the quarantine camps on the east bank of the canal the canal indeed proved itself a blessing in this regard in the absence of its wide deep waters easily policed and patrolled it is doubtful whether any effective cordon could have been drawn between egypt and the source of danger the first actual case of cholera asiatica in the field occurred on august the seventh nineteen sixteen three days after the attack of the turks on our position at romani in the twelve days following twenty-five other cases cropped up in swift succession but then the onslaught of this much more insidious foe of the two was completely checked the ensuing four days produced only one case more in september there was one case and in october one case making in all thirty cases of which seven proved fatal thereafter the affection disappeared for good this is the simple chronology of one of the most sinister threats that ever menaced a british army in the east a danger that was brought to naught almost to a literal reductio ad absurdum by the instant and supreme organization of all the resources of medical science against it it is scarcely possible to do more than indicate the scope and variety and indeed the immensity of the work which devolved on all members of the royal army medical corps in carrying out the surgeon-general's plans in the same thorough way in which these were conceived a few points however may here be enumerated the detection of these thirty cases of true cholera in their initial stage each one of which if undiscovered would have constituted a centre of infection meant the detention in isolation hospitals of some one thousand one hundred and fifty cases diagnosed as simple diarrhoea stool samples from all these simple cases had to be taken and sent to the nearest field laboratory where they were microscopically examined 
in the event of any suspicious organisms being discovered these had to be proved in various ways all of which involved the expenditure of much time and trouble the spirillum of cholera is an elusive creature profoundly erratic in its habits it may be present in large numbers in a specimen derived from a very mild case and absent altogether from the faeces of a man virulently affected thus in one of the cases which ended fatally the diagnosis of true cholera depended entirely upon the clinician the bacteriologist being unable to detect any specific evidence of the disease the post-mortem examination however amply proved its existence that in this outbreak of cholera at romany the original infection was derived from the enemy there can be no possible doubt it directly arose from contravention by the troops of the rules laid down as to the drinking of water from indiscriminate sources had the regulation as to the use of the disinfecting tablets which every soldier carried with him during this battle been rigidly observed it is just likely there would have been no cholera among our troops for this lapse of discipline the present writer must for conscience sake be the very last to blame the men concerned to arrive at a water-hole in an oasis frantic with thirst and utterly exhausted by prolonged marching and fighting in the dust and intense heat of the desert and then to wait a solid half-hour until a bottleful of water sterilised itself would have taxed the self-restraint of the best of us as might be expected the men did nothing of the kind having driven the enemy from these oases they just crowded to the wells and blindly drank their fill despite the abominably foul state in which most of these places had been left moreover during this long drawn-out battle although every effort was made to provide each man with a gallon of filtered water daily and each mounted man had been furnished with two water bottles it was found impossible in some cases to get the camels out to the troops engaged and these had to fend as best they might in one instance it is known that the contents assumed to be drinking water of some barrels found abandoned by the enemy were consumed by our thirst tormented troops in army medical matters as in all other provinces of human endeavour the best laid plans of mice and men gang aft agley thus much for cholera but cholera was only one of the epidemic diseases which might assail our armies in the field and against which preventative measures had to be devised there was enteric fever and its allied disorders there was dysentery or rather the dysenteries for our physicians now recognised two diseases of that name there was the insidious affection called epidemic jaundice 
which worked such havoc among our men at the dardanelles and there were all the infectious throat and lung complaints of which sinister throng diphtheria marches at the head and there was still one more to be dreaded most of all and never for a moment to be left out of the reckoning in any tropical campaign the plague the terrible black death that mows men down like corn and whose dissemination remains such a mystery to the doctors well into the twentieth century to detail all that was done by the army medical service in egypt to safeguard our troops against each and all of these fell diseases would be alike to weary the reader and to embark on a system of reiteration wholly foreign to the scope of this record our design is to present an account clear and complete yet as succinct as may be of the work of the royal army medical corps in this particular area of the war and we conceive this purpose to be sufficiently realized if we here limit ourselves to one more typical resume in the branch of that work at present under scrutiny the methods of scientific warfare against plague differ materially from those against cholera or indeed against almost any other epidemic disease plague is not catching in the popular sense of the word given certain conditions a case of this disease in its most virulent form may occur in a crowded community the sufferer may come into close contact with any number of people and may even die in their midst and neither in life nor death will he necessarily constitute a danger to others the next case it is true is very likely to be in the same house but it is just as likely to be in the next street or the next village to the uninformed there seems often no connection whatever between the various cases of plague in a district which together make up an epidemic the one is taken and the other left here the fire breaks out flames up and dies down again miraculously you would say right in the midst of the same inflammable material there it springs up again perhaps in a spot where it seems just as miraculously impossible and flaunts itself in the face of what looks like typical sanitary decorum or no epidemic worthy of the name may occur at all the black death may work just like some well-concealed sniper afar off picking off his man with leisurely yet unerring aim when and wherever it pleases him in this latter guise it may be said that there has always been plague in egypt during the plague season which extends from april to the end of july isolated cases are reported each year and at the ports of suez and said situated each at an end of the canal it is doubtful if any month of the year passes 
without sporadic instances of the disease cropping up here and there men fall and die in their tracks and the oriental murmurs kismet goes through the eastern equivalent of crossing himself then piously placidly fares on with his day's work but fatalism is of little use in the science of preventive medicine as in india in past years so in egypt now we had our troops to protect against this scourge and with the help of india's experience the medical authorities of the egyptian expeditionary force went promptly about the task the facts as to the nature and origin of plague will scarcely be within the knowledge of all reading these lines it may be well therefore briefly to enumerate them here like so many tropical lesions plague is primarily not a human disease at all it is a specific disorder affecting certain animals how many kinds we do not at present know but we do know that rats and mice are peculiarly liable to it rats and mice are attracted to human dwellings all the world over but particularly to the crowded insanitary quarters in tropical or subtropical towns and villages it would therefore be quite easy to see how plague could be directly communicated by rats and mice to man except for the fact well ascertained but always self-evident that such direct communication seldom if ever took place herein lay the mystery surrounding propagation of the disease it was evidently not catching in the ordinary sense what then constituted the intermediary of infection as is well understood now plague in the human subject is the result of direct inoculation by the agency of the rodent flea an infected rat or mouse dies and its fleas hitherto nourished on its germ-laden blood are constrained to seek another field of subsistence which will be preferably another rat or mouse but failing these the nearest human subject the flea itself seems to be immune to the disease it merely acts as a germ carrier its bite does not necessarily convey infection to its new human host but its excreta freely voided as it feeds swarm with the bacillus pestis the microorganism causing plague these bacilli gain entrance to the circulatory system of the host through abrasions of the skin caused by scratching the man in fact inoculates himself the necessity for this direct blood inoculation in the propagation of plague explains the erratic character of its occurrence the fleas from a rat which has died of plague may infect one man or many or none at all a man sick of plague may harbour infected fleas still about him 
in which case his attendants may be bitten and so contract the disease or he may be free of the insects and therefore incapable of harm when his watchers escape again it is well known that rats travel long distances in search of food they are also strong capable swimmers when necessity demands it a plague-infected rat may thus visit a locality ideally healthy in other respects and may sow the seeds of the black death broadcast among the rats and mice of the locality and thus an epidemic of plague may arise which may well pass for a visitation of an outraged providence in default of any other apparent cause seeing that plague was endemic both in egypt and india that we had brought large numbers of native troops from the latter country to the former and that we were now constantly importing special foodstuffs for these troops from their old to their new zone of action seeing moreover that these foodstuffs came from ports where plague was normally present and came in ships which would certainly harbour rats it did not need a solomon to realise the possibility of trouble on this side and the wisdom of preparing for it where solomon's special attributes and for the matter of that job's as well might have found perhaps a more adequate test lay not so much in devising measures of prevention against a plague epidemic but in getting those measures loyally and thoroughly carried out by the troops mainly concerned the native indian regiments stationed for the most part at the various posts on or near the east bank of the suez canal all was done however that could be done the ideal way to prevent the occurrence of plague among human beings anywhere would be to exterminate all rats and mice within the inhabited zone it may be admitted at once that any measure having this object in view as regards our semi-permanent camping areas on the suez canal would have resulted only in waste of time money and labour it would have been foredoomed to failure the egyptian rat is ubiquitous from the very first he elected to give us his company on the sinai venture and the chances are that no sanitary squad short of the entire army itself would have succeeded in dissuading him all we could do was to limit as severely as possible the hospitality thus involuntarily extended to him we waged war against holes and corners we caused all huts and other buildings in the camps to be so constructed as to afford the minimum of shelter to rats and mice double walls were eschewed as also wooden floors which provided hiding places for vermin beneath we arranged for all storehouses to be turned out at short intervals nothing was allowed to be piled up directly against an outside wall 
old dugouts and superseded trenches were filled in latrines received special attention to ensure them being riddled with light and air all kitchen refuse food remainders anything that might nourish a rat or mouse were hurried to the incinerators and never allowed to lie about the destruction of these undesirable guests was encouraged in every conceivable way save one that of putting down poison the reason for this exception was twofold where the rat population is limited to a few local residents or occasional visitors the practice of setting poison bait is allowable it will probably be effective and at any rate is not likely to have an offensive result but the wholesale poisoning of rats in and about a locality densely populated by human beings is wrong in every way the stench arising from their decaying bodies will probably render the place uninhabitable even if the same cause fails to bring about an epidemic of sickness but this is by no means the chief reason against a method of destroying vermin which leaves their carcasses in various ungetatable places or indeed against any method of the kind which does not allow of prompt disposal of the dead in the work of plague prevention amongst human beings it is all important to watch the rats and mice of a locality all members of our medical personnel from one end of the canal zone to the other the sphere wherein the disease was most likely to show itself were instructed to keep a sharp lookout for any undue mortality among the rodents we knew that plague among these always preceded plague among men if immediately the rats of a place began to die of plague the human population was at once evacuated the chances were that the disease would never communicate itself to the human element at all herein lay our trump card in the game of life against the black death and it will be at once realized how important it was not to allow the red herring trail of poison to be drawn across this invaluable scent it would of course have been better to have had no rats at all to convey the disease but this being impossible in egypt the next best thing was to be able to use them in the way described a method which would have been denied to us if the indiscriminate use of poison had been allowed the first cases of plague occurred among our indian troops towards the end of april nineteen seventeen at a post on the east bank of the suez canal some miles from its southern extremity within a few days of the first appearance of the disease similar outbreaks were reported from four or five other stations in the length of the canal and all on its eastern or desert side but all our medical forces were ready mobilized against it 
and it was never given a chance to develop into anything like a general epidemic like the irishman on the outskirts of the street melee wherever we saw a head we struck at it as each centre of infection became known all troops were promptly withdrawn and sequestered in isolation camps the sick men removed to plague hospitals the contacts to rigorous quarantine and the post with everything it contained which was burnable was reduced to ashes from first to last there were some eighty-five cases of plague all among the indian troops and members of the egyptian labor corps but by may the twenty-fourth just a month from its first appearance the whole of the affected zone had been cleared of the disease thereafter it was confined to the usual rare detached instances at this time of year among civilians at suez and port said as with the cholera so with the plague preventative measures carefully thought out and applied with scientific thoroughness had produced the usual very inconspicuous and inglorious result a number quite incalculable of fighting men were alive and well and able to prosecute their business of slaying their country's enemies men whose names would otherwise have gone to lengthen rolls of honour by how much the god of battle and of pestilence alone knows before closing this chapter on epidemic diseases as affecting the work of the ramc in egypt it may be of interest to determine as far as may be the real direction from which this threat of a plague epidemic came upon our troops investigations carried out by one of our most experienced medical officers leave little room for doubt that in the first instance the infection was brought from india either in the foodstuffs intended for consumption by the native indian regiments forming part of the suez canal defensive force or by plague infected rats taking passage in the cargo ships employed these foodstuffs were conveyed in barges from the wharves at suez up the canal to the different places where the troops were quartered our sanitary men traced the barges which had conveyed the cereal food to these posts and discovered rats upon them which on a post-mortem were proved to be suffering from plague the ships which had brought the foodstuffs to suez were also traced and examined and plague-infected rats were captured upon them moreover dead rats discovered at the infected places were in each case proved by dissection to have succumbed to the disease and in each case also we obtained a history of abnormal mortality having occurred among the rats and mice of the place some days before the outbreak among the troops a clear and timely warning which had the medical instructions for instant evacuation been carried out would most probably have prevented altogether the spread of the disease to the garrison 
the story points a moral or rather it indicates pretty clearly one direction in which when the war is over the surplus energy of the nations could be very usefully employed the idea of a world-wide war against rats is no new thing but in the light of new discoveries in the science of preventive medicine it has certainly of recent years taken on a new significance the rat like all the rest of nature's living scavengers has now outlived its usefulness mankind has no longer any need for such rough and ready and faulty and uncertain agents there are too many millions of us in the world now for toleration of anything but the directest speediest and most efficient means to any desired common end the rat therefore remains among us merely as a useless danger and has got to go nothing however can be done in this matter unless all is done and all act together with one accord governments first and then the various organizations and then at bottom the one man the individual the unit forming humanity which is you or the man in the next street or the next continent if we all wage war against rats all the world and his wife this no longer necessary evil must soon abate and eventually follow the ichthyosaurus and the dodo into the valhalla of extinct monstrosities but a start in the business must be made by someone somewhere and surely the onus of first action lies with the egyptian who stands astride of the world's greatest commercial sea-road and whom nature and art alike have constituted the middleman between west and east sultan hussein i might easily find a less tenable claim to the gratitude of posterity than that of the king of egypt in whose reign the country was delivered of at least two plagues that of the turks with their train of moral havoc and of the rodents upon whom ride the seeds of death as thistledown upon the wind end of section twelve